Hello, and welcome to Do Not Steal, a podcast about tabletop and our OCs. Uh, I'm your host, Olivia Morgan-Joseph, and with me, I have uh, a very special girl. Hi, I'm the very special girl. I'm Hannah, uh, Hannah Yola, and uh, I'm here to talk about original characters that you should never, ever, ever steal. So, um, the general structure of this podcast, what we wanted to do, every time we meet here, I, o- I always want to say every week, but oh god no no i'm not gonna be reading an rpg book every week (laughs) every time we meet here um we're going to have read an rpg book right a tabletop role-playing game Mm -hmm. um and we're going to give you not like a full in-depth deep dive blah 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 we're going to give you the overview uh the idea is give you enough information that you understand what this game is about, even if you've never played it before. Um, and then in our second part, we're going to use um, that rule book, that world, uh, that game in general, uh, to create some OCs that we that we've made according to a prompt, and we're going to talk about them. Yeah, um, you, you got to understand uh, um, one of the big reasons why we can't do a podcast like this every week is because um, it takes exactly one fucking week to understand what the layout of the book is and like why the rules for making a character come after the rules for like you know everything else and and how every single rpg book is like oh what if i just lay myself out and structure myself completely differently than every other rpg book so uh i'm not bitter about it it truly grinds my gears i Look, I, I get it. I get, you know, I can I can theorize uh, ideas about why somebody who makes an RPG book might want to have their own unique layout. I get it, but I just want to find. I want sh- I want you to show me the character classes. <laughs> I want you. How do I make a guy? God, yes, especially whenever like character creation rules are are like a separate section from the kinds of guy you can be. And there's, like, stuff Ugh. between them. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I want to know what the just, guys just, are so I can make my character. Just walk me through the guy creation podcast. There's um, er, the process. There's Ugh. a famous instance of this in the book for, I think it's the second edition of Exalted, where um, nobody knows, like, where the fuck the healing rules are because those aren't anywhere <laughs> that makes sense. So, like, the recommendation mm-hmm. is, like, just do a control F in your PDF for the word massage, and that'll take you right there, because it's the only place in the book where that word shows up, and oh all God. of a sudden, you know how to heal your character. It's through massage. Uh, see, if I ever made one of these, right, yeah. I would not I would make a table of contents, yep. and then I would make a second table of contents. <laughs> it's just like, okay, like... How do I make a character? Go to this page. Yeah. How do I heal? Go to this page. What is combat like? Go to this page. You yeah, know, yeah, just yeah. Um, the normal, the normal table of contents, and then the uh, the like the useful table of contents. God, especially like when they try to give chapters like evocative names. Um, World of Darkness games are really fucking bad about this. <laughs> shameful, absolutely shameful. Yeah, no get out of here i just want things labeled character creation um if you labeled it something evocative like what kind of guys there are then i would get that instinctively (laughs) but no if you're talking about like children of the darkness it's like 
is that character creation? Is that like factions? No, no, no. What kind of guys there are? Clearly character creation. List list of guys. Yeah. Things guys can do. Subheadings. Funny little guys. Special little guys. Big guys. You just li- you know you're just listing good things at this point. Yeah. Those are all types of guys I enjoy. This would be a really good game. <laughs> Not <laughs> only because the the book would be laid out properly, but because it would have guys in there. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, where were we? Yeah, yeah. That's the that's the essence of our podcast. We like to make we like to make little little tabletop guys. Um, uh, one of the problems with tabletop though is that you make a guy and then you have to like play that one guy for like a year or two. Uh, so we thought we would just streamline the process and just like make a ton of cool guys and talk about yeah. them with each other. Yeah, this isn't That's a podcast. This isn't going to be like a podcast where you can get like a serious in-depth review of like all these different game systems. Um, and it's not going to be like an actual play podcast. We are never going to play any of these fuckers. Um, we might. It's possible that like somebody's going to, you know, start up a game in these systems later on. And it's like, oh, Oh my god, I have the best little guy ready for just this instance. But more likely than not, uh, we're not going to play him. And this is just a podcast that is about celebrating the joy of making a cool dude and then telling your cool friend about the cool dude, which is something that we both uh, dearly, dearly love. Yeah. Um, and for our first episode, we thought, what was the phrase... I think I don't remember the exact phrase we used. I think we said we wanted something popular, but fuck Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, we were actually talking earlier about how bad Dungeons and Dragons is. Uh, so we did. So we did Blades in the Dark instead. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much just like you know Dungeons and Dragons for for people who are uh, like more self-conscious about like no 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 I want to actually be trying something new and interesting. Um it's you know another like fantasy game uh and it has like a specific mode that it's trying to be in, but it's mm-hmm. it's just like actually good. Um there's not there's not 175 pages of fucking spells <laughs> that nobody knows except for the one dipshit who does nothing else in his life but read Dungeons and Dragons spells. If, if you know spells, fuck off. So you'll create a dungeon with like a bunch of different uh, obstacles and traps that are like really, you know, they're going to be really complicated, really test the player's limits. And then fucking Jack is going to just be like, oh, I cast uh, Big Dick Spell 5 and then beat your whole dungeon anyway. I, I had, I was into Dungeons and Dragons game in like my freshman year of college where um, there, were, there was like some fun stuff going on because like role playing is inherently a fun activity. But mm-hmm. uh, every few sessions, the pendulum would swing in this like war going on between the dungeon master and the guy playing a wizard. Where, like, the guy with the oh. wizard would find a spell that would, like, completely fucking invalidate the challenges in front of us and, like, insta-win the combat or whatnot. And then the DM would be like, mm-hmm. alright, uh, good news. Every monster uh, that I'm gonna throw at you from now on is immune to that thing you did just now. <laughs> like, it started with, like, uh-huh. oh, we're, we've been, like, ambushed by, like, raiders. And it's like, don't worry, guys. I'm gonna cast Fly on an entire party. Now they can't hit us. And now, like, from then on, every guy can fly that we fight. And it was just this back and forth where it's like, by the end, 
they were both going through like the most obscure source books they could find to try to find like the ultimate trump cards to each other's trump cards and there were like four mm-hmm. other players who just had to bear witness to this shit uh-huh. i don't think Dungeons and dragons uh-huh. is a super good game um <laughs> but uh blades in the dark listen it's pretty good but let me tell you. Let me tell you about how it's pretty they've, good. They've so, played it on Friends at the Table, so like people have heard of this one too, which is always a yeah. benefit. Yeah. Uh, one of the major reasons why we wanted to do it, I think. Like everybody, like I think most people who have a sort of not you know not intense but uh, familiar interest in tabletop would probably know Blades in the Dark was our reasoning. Mm-hmm. So for our general overview. Right, uh, player characters in Blades in the Dark are uh, part of a crew of scoundrels, criminals, um, ne'er-do-wells. Uh, do we have any other descriptive words, Hannah? Uh, I think, like... Hucksters? Yeah, yeah. I don't think that this is, like, explicit rules, but they are all definitely dorks. Um, I think mm-hmm. that everybody that you can possibly make in Blades in the Dark is a dork in some way or other uh if only because they live in like steampunk fantasy world yes uh so you're all in this crew right and gameplay cycles between you're doing scores i think is what they're called Mm -hmm. which are discrete like missions with objectives uh that are you know improve the wealth power and position of your crew and your characters so score is we're gonna go we're gonna go to that noble's house and we're gonna knock it over and we're gonna steal all his crap and get out alive yeah great that's a score so you go do that after you do that then you transition to downtime which is a more sort of abstractly timed like loose you know sort of looser constructed narrative where your crew gets entangled in stuff like complications or like weird things can arise the various factions of the city like jockey with each other for position and you the player characters are spending a limited amount of time uh either like healing yourself in various ways or furthering your personal goals or like the goals of the crew in general yeah um Um, yeah one cool thing about this game is that like it, it, it feels like it's definitely part of a lineage that, like, started with, uh, or I don't know if it necessarily started with, but it was certainly just, like, popularized in a lot of ways with, like, Powered by the Apocalypse games, where it's, like, these sort mm-hmm. of big-name indie games that are designed to, um, like, create for more interesting outcomes and less kind of, like, mechanical optimization in, you know, like, character creation and play, right? So one of the things that yeah. we were talking about, like, with, Dungeons and Dragons and why it sucks ass so much is that like if you fail a roll then you just fail to do that thing and you don't do it and so it's like yeah you know it's like you fail to pick a lock or whatnot the dungeon master can certainly like come up with an interesting consequence for that right where it's like oh well the door opens but it's because there is a dude on the other side and it's a guard and he's like hey what are you doing here you're uh you're under arrest now but by the rules themselves, all that happens is just, like, it remains locked, right? Um, and mm-hmm. what this game is really fun with is that, like, there's situations when you can just, like, completely fail to accomplish what you tried to do, but more likely, you're going to succeed with consequences. And so, like, mm-hmm. it's it's cool, right? Because there's, like, this 
phase to the scores that you mentioned called an engagement role where you kind of like lay out mm-hmm. your plan before the the score and you like you know you say okay well we're gonna go in this way we're gonna have this advantage we're gonna find information that like exposes weaknesses and like their operation and then after that you make this engagement role that tells you like oh cool you did really well you're in a controlled uh setup right now and that means that like all your shit is gonna be pretty like easy and low risk but what's wonderful about this game is that like uh as soon as you start getting not perfect results on your roles uh you will lose that controlled position and start going into risky probably start going into desperate Mm -hmm. at points and it's just like this great system where like you don't um it's not like you know uh, uh, that the challenge is represented by like you're at two out of 50 hit points the challenge is represented by like shit is just starting to go wrong and um we are losing control of the situation and it is a lot more complicated than we originally thought it was going to be and that's always super fun yeah like um i i heard this sort of um you know, the Blades in the Dark system described once as, like, in Blades in the Dark, you usually do the thing. What you're rolling to see is what the consequences of you doing the thing are. So you could pick the lock in a way that's like, great, did that, totally quiet, nobody noticed, all five of us are in this, you know, mansion now, and we're gonna knock the place over. Or it's like, you know, you could open the lock, there's a whole patrol of guards on the other side. They've all spotted you. Now they know you're there. You're all running around. You get separated from your crew. Uh, somebody's been shot, you know, and it just creates like, I think it's generally the, 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 I think the game is generally set up to try to keep things moving, mm-hmm. basically, right? The last thing it wants for you to happen is, you know, for you to pick the lock, try to pick the lock, fail. And then everyone's like, okay, what do we do now? Yeah. I guess. You were talking about, like, plans for, like, how you do these scores. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all... The system is built in a way where it, it tries to, it tries to you know, dissuade you from trying to think of every little detail. And be like, you know, you can always, you can always come up with the details as they're interesting in the narrative. Rather yeah. than, like, you know, trying to sit there and be like, okay, so we're going to go in the back. There's going to be one guy in the back. There's going to be two guys in the front. There's going to be, you know... Like, you can just start there and be like, oh, we're all in a controlled position. So somebody can be like, I'm good, the guy going in the front. I'm the distraction and it works great. Yeah. You know, I do love that um, mental image that you uh, probably inadvertently put in my head of you uh, picking the lock. And on the other side, there are uh, 12 identical guards T posing at you. <laughs> and they all just start like running at you while still doing the T pose. Um, I was thinking of, um, because I have this kind of brain, I was thinking of the, uh, the scene in Star Wars where, uh, Han and Chewbacca around the corner and there's like 20 stormtroopers <laughs> there and just, they just start shooting them. That's what I was thinking of. God, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, like, you, yeah, that that is funny, but also, like, I feel like there could easily be, like, a, a Star Wars hack for this type of, um, what are called Forge in the Dark Hacks. I believe they're literally Amazing. Is. I think it's called Scum and Villainy. See, exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it would be very much for like a new hope thing, right? Like we mm-hmm. need to get Princess Leia off the Death Star is as far as like if we're looking at like fictional reference, like That's a prime fucking it score. It is super in the mold of like what these scores are. Um I think they literally 
let's see, thinking about New Hope, I think they do a social plan. They do like a deception, what's it called? I think it's like a deception plan. Our deception is we are like an abandoned freighter that they've picked up and put in their hangar and then we sneak out and we get the princess. Oh my god. I I rewatched that movie recently and Obi-Wan on the Death Star is just some of those purest vibes ever. Just this gleeful old man (laughs) just sneaking around. He's just chilling. He's just like hopping between one piece of cover and another with like a little shit-eating grin on his face. And he just hates occasionally he'll make a little hand gesture and there'll be a mysterious whooshing noise and the stormtroopers will be like, what was that? And run over to investigate his whooshing noise and then he'll sort of jauntily run past. He is the original funny little guy in Star Wars. Damn. No, you're right. You're right. They, They have, you know, a huge concentration of funny little guys ever since. But like he's he's. Oh, no, no, no. I I'm I'm lying here, obviously. The very first funny little guy to appear is, of course, R2-D2. Mm-hmm. But then after that, Ben Kenobi yeah. is a surprisingly potent funny little guy. Remember when he shows when he shows up first, he's like a mysterious hooded guy, like waving his arms in the air. Yes. And all the all the, <laughs> the, uh, the raiders are like, oh, fuck, it's this guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's turned his arms at us like 12 times before, and it was awful every time. I'm fucking out of here. Shit, it's the wacky wiggly arm man. Get out of here. They're, they're literally saying to each other in their language, do-ho-ho, here comes the fucking wizard. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for saying that one first. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful turn of phrase. I know it's very dear to your heart. Uh, do you want to talk about Blaze in Dark a little more? Yeah. Um, so, like, when you do rolls in Blades in the Dark, yeah. when you are rolling dice mm-hmm. to resolve conflicts, um, the system is generally you decide, your, you know, um, the whoever's running the game will decide, based on what you want to do, your position which is generally, like, your fictional position in the narrative. How in control are you? Like, how much is on fire? Mm -hmm. And then your effect. Like, what reasonably can you expect from this? Yeah. You know? And then uh, those will determine the consequences of your roll, which is uh, two six-sided dice plus a relevant modifier. Is it? You know? uh, I I think it's... I thought this is a system where it's, like, the number of dice is what's determined by how good you are by it. No, it's um no way it's no way yes i'm wrong oh my god i'm wrong i was right the whole time wait now you've really got me now you've really got me doubting no i think it is always it is always too decent what we need to do is put l's theme from death note under this um (laughs) this section of the podcast as we like flail and try to figure this shit out okay i got it I found the rules. Okay, what are the rules? You get one six-sided dice for each action rating dot. See? So, yeah. I'm, I was misremembering Okay, this. yeah. So, it is, you know, and you get to take, um, you know, and then you take the two highest. That's why I was thinking 2d6. There we go, yeah, yeah. So, you roll either a, and if you have no actions if you have no uh you know if you want to if you want to roll to prowl you have no prowl skill then you roll two then you roll 2d6 and i think you just take the lowest yeah um it's it's also very much a system where like there are obviously ways to like become more mechanically powerful and like i'm sure that there are ways to like mechanically optimize a character but it's just like so fucking far from like what the point of the game is that it's like really refreshing Mm -hmm. Um, and, and one other thing that's, like, really cool to it about me is that, like, 
they have this system in here called clocks, which basically represent progress towards either a good thing or a bad thing happening, right? And it's like, if you mm-hmm. want to kind of like, um, I don't know, like figure out where the secret vault is at this, like, you know, uh, uh, in this mansion that you're infiltrating, then it's like, okay, well, there, that's like a six step clock, right? And it might be that, you know, one of you advances it by like using a, a study role to like find, you know, a part in the wall that's recessed. And one of you advances it by like, you know, getting someone drunk and getting them to like whisper some gossip about like how they saw the person who owns the mansion, like flitting into a panic room. Um, and similarly, there are clocks run bad shit is going to happen. Like if you g- get a low roll, then oftentimes it won't be like, all right, well, that doesn't happen. Try something else. It'll be, well, you do something. But also I'm going to start a clock that says like, you know, when this is filled up, um, they have discovered who you are and they're going to start reacting with force. So it leads to a lot of like Mm -hmm. cool situations where like you don't necessarily feel like you had a close one because you like, uh, you know, are like barely limping out of the score with like, you know, uh, one health left and and you're just like completely fucked. It's like. It was a close one because all the hostile clocks were, like, one away from filling. And that's just a really fucking cool mm-hmm. feeling. Yeah. And I think it the clock system also lends itself to, like, lends the, the challenges and the rules a sort of fluidity that I think is really nice. Yeah. Like, it's never like, ah, oh, we found a giant... I go to lock picking all the time in this episode, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry. But there's never, like... It's not a situation where it's like, oh, it's a giant vault. None of us have the lockpicking skill. Yeah. Great. You know, it's like the the obstacles exist, and then it is up to you as the players to come up with ways to attack those obstacles, which I I think is just better than mm-hmm. like a, a system where it's like, here's the guard. He has 50 health. You have to deal 50 damage to yeah. him. It's like... Are you going to distract the guard? Are you going to smooth talk the guard? Are you going to seduce the guard? Are you going to hit him in the head? Like, yeah, it is your, you know, it is basically you have that freedom as players to make choices as to what you're going to do, which can both like can both mechanically like make it so your character can do the things they're good at, Mm -hmm. but also or also just make things interesting. You know, it's also fun to be like, well, this situation kind of leans me more towards trying to talk to him i'm not good at talking to people well i hope that works and then usually when it doesn't it's fun yeah it's it's always super fun when you fuck up in a system like this which like in some super anxiety inducing oh it can be both 100 percent. but like yeah one one thing when i talk about those like different methods of approach and how that's really cool it's like the setting of this game is uh, I don't know if it's like directly inspired by or, or if they're the two of them are just inspired by the same basic shit, but it, it has very like dishonored vibes. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like a dark Victorian fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I feel like one of the reasons why that works super well is that like, like dishonored, this game really sort of gives you the sense of like playing one of those like immersive sim video games, right? Like a dishonored, like a system shock, like a thief, like a deus ex where it's like we have this like very meticulously designed level that has a bunch of different paths through it and that has a bunch of different like ways that you can approach the situation um and so like you know i think one thing that would actually be like really cool in this uh if we were to ever actually like you know play a game with these characters is the idea that like 
a lot of times like pre-made modules for games are just really fucking boring because it's like oh well, i just kind of did the same thing and uh yeah I, I did exactly what the module told me to do whereas with this mm-hmm. type of system i feel like it could be a lot more fluid and a lot more like based on okay well what kind of little weirdo goofballs do we have in our crew and what are they going to be good at um so like your story of like how you get through that modules challenge could be completely different than your friends um mm-hmm. is there anything else about the setting that's worth mentioning right now besides the fact that it's just like dark victorian fantasy um the world's kind of over you know like mm, yeah th- that's the thing that i think strikes me is like um uh i haven't read like i i, I haven't read everything about the setting chapter because my personal approach like my personal approach to settings and role-playing is always like, well, we can sort of futz it. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, like, you can't leave the main city without some sort of supernatural aid or assistance because otherwise you will fucking, like, literally die out there. For sure. Like, there are ghosts everywhere. Your life force will be sapped, you know? <laughs> there are too many um, ghosts. Um, there are too many ghosts in this setting if you see a ghost and you do not have like a special protection against ghosts you will suffer like mental harm you'll it's bad out there yeah it's not great um yeah it's it's also a, a system where like or a setting where where you talked about like the world being over um it's mm-hmm. that like is manifested in the idea of like it is physically over like there's just not shit out there anymore that's like remotely safe Mm-hmm. um but it's also there's also no yeah go for it there's also no daytime like i think it's it's a world of eternal night yeah not great not great not for great. people um but it's also like a setting where like like things used to be are implied that they like used to be a lot more sort of like traditional high fantasy right and like there's still fantastical mm-hmm. elements going on but like a lot of them are just like ways in which life is like kind of shitty and difficult now right it's it's not like you're going to have like this grand wizard who's like, you know, just floating six feet above the ground down the street and, you know, like commanding uh, everyone to as well. It's like there is magical stuff here, but it's a lot sort of more mundane and incorporating and like incorporated into the ways that like life just kind of sucks ass. Mm-hmm. Which makes for a really cool like system where your character is inherently going to be somebody who is like under that boot you know um Mm -hmm. and and who is because you always start at like zero tier for your crew right um so you're always like some kind of like new on the block shit kickers who are have big dreams but are not an established quantity whatsoever so Mm -hmm. it's always this like situation where um you're somebody who's like acutely aware of how much the world fucking sucks for you and like one of the the best possible like mechanical endings you can get is just like having a comfortable house to live in once you've retired from doing scores i think that's really cool Mm -hmm. yeah uh do we want to talk uh do we want to move into talking about our character for sure yeah we uh each made a character and uh yeah and another another part of the podcast pitch is that like we we also haven't talked specifically about what characters we've made so to sort of like guide us um we we started with a prompt which was like the relationship between these two characters um and what we thought would be fun for blades in the dark 
to do would be a master criminal and the detective who is trying to catch them. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are our two characters. I made the criminal. I made the detective. Uh, my criminal is uh, Mrs. Anais Archard, uh, a.k.a. the goldsmith. Oh my god, yes. Uh, <laughs> I-, I was waiting to hear the over-the-top names. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, let's see. So, Anais Archard, her whole thing. She is a disreputable scion of a sort of uh, down-on-their-luck noble house. Like, at one point, the Archards were, you know, um, just sort of mixing it up with the rest of the nobles, you know? Like, yeah. nobody was working, we're all getting our rents, we're going to parties and stuff. We're um, getting the invites. They fell on hard times, and they're sort of nobles they're still in that noble society but they're also sort of profane you know right like uh they don't have a good reputation and partially because they're you know the current family head is you know um Aeneas who is this sort of gaudy uh crass nasty like uh rude ass lady okay wait who... wait pause quickly I love her and would die for her <laughs> thank you uh <laughs> She loves she loves drinking. Yeah. She loves smoking. Uh-huh. She loves gambling. Uh-huh. Gambling mechanically is her vice. Okay, yeah, because uh, I was we'll that for later. There's a mechanical system here for your vice, and it's a way that you can mm-hmm. like, you know, kind of heal yourself um, between sessions and downtime. That's, yeah, mentally, yeah, it like heals you of stress, um, which you accrue like from mechanical advantage or as consequences. Yeah. Um, but also, it is a two-sided thing. I was, you know? I was so. very curious, though. Like, wait, is your vice just everything? No, it is specifically games of chance for reasons I'll get into. But she is, yeah. So she is just sort of like, she's just sort of like, she knows people, yeah. Um, and, but she's not everybody's best friend. Basically, mm-hmm. mostly she's everyone's like loud, rude friend who's fun <laughs> to have at a party as long as you're not around when she has like her sixth drink and just goes fucking. Nuts. How much do people talk about her behind her back? All the time. She oh, yeah. purposefully does things that are scandalous so people will talk about her. Oh my um, god, that bitch! <laughs> so that is her public persona. Yes. Her her semi-public persona where everyone is pretty sure she is the goldsmith (laughs) but there's no evidence Um, amazing and the goldsmith uh so so said because they work precious metals out of everything okay um (laughs) i thought that was cute oh it is Um, it is you're right is sort of the head of a group of what in the game are called hawkers, which are mm-hmm. sort of smugglers and illegal merchant types, um, purveyors of all of the whiskey and cigars and all of the stuff that Aeneas loves that are not necessarily legal. For sure. But they they get them in the city and they sell them for great profits. So the sort of third part of this pitch for her is that these... You know, she has these two very different sides of her. Mm-hmm. They're not in conflict. They're not fake. Like, there is For no sure. part of her that's fake. She is not putting on this act of being, like, yeah. like this sort of hedonistic kind of gross lady. That's just what she does. She loves making money so that she can throw it all away. 
because, as I said earlier, the world is kind of over, so she's just here to enjoy herself as much as possible. And to her, all of the criminal stuff is just sort of the way in which that she does it. You know, she gets just as much pleasure out of creating this complicated, you know, um, uh, contraband smuggling and selling scheme, making a ton of gold, just going out and spending it all in one night. Yeah. You know, that's the shit that she loves. Oh, um, amazing. Uh, so I have... I have an important question here before we get to the mechanics. Fire away. Um, okay, so I have my own potential answers to this, but I would love to hear your perspective on it. Um, mm-hmm. If it's kind of obvious that she is a goldsmith, then why hasn't mm-hmm. she been caught yet? Why would someone need to hire the services of a detective to pursue her when it's like, you know, okay, we billed you for 50 hours of work and we just spent those 50 hours uh, very slowly writing on a piece of paper. Uh, it's Anais. <laughs> so um, I think it is a two-pronged thing. Um, one in which I think her schemes are very meticulous. Uh-huh. And so they, she's careful that there is no hard evidence. Gotcha. You know, like, and I think secondly, she makes a lot of money and she spends a lot of it on bribing the right people. Amazing. You okay. know? Like, her her pitch to the guards that she knows is basically like, you know, yeah, I'm smuggling a lot of shit into this city, but I'm not, like, hurting anybody. I'm just this nasty lady who, like, sells stuff to people, and, like, I'm, you know, I'm sort of, like, craven and rude, yeah. but I'm not, you know, I'm not a threat to anything, you know? She is not, like, the... She's not the kind of... uh uh, illegal liquor kingpin who will kill someone for screwing her over. For sure. You know, um, she will simply financially ruin them. Yeah. Can and I... prevent them from being an issue ever again. Can I like toss in a suggestion as well for another like aspect sure. of this? Um, I think it would rule if people who do have some kind of interest in like maybe seeing her go down have this perspective of like, okay, so obviously, um, and how are you pronouncing her name? Sorry. Uh, I'm sort of I'm sort of going with a few different pronunciations, but I like Anias. Anias, okay. Uh, obviously, Anias is a figurehead, right? Obviously, she's the front behind this operation, and if we like take mm-hmm. her down, then that's literally not going to affect anything. And you know, the the mastermind behind the scenes is just going to keep going along and put up a new figurehead within weeks. Um, and so mm-hmm. that level of like, oh well, she's kind of just like too gross and crass to be a criminal mastermind is is very effective armor for her because people are always trying yeah. to like play one chess move ahead of trying to actually take her down um and like chasing mm-hmm. this like mysterious figure in the shadows that doesn't actually exist yeah i like that a lot i think an- another reason why she is not just you know instantly captured is it's sort of like too good to be true yeah <laughs> like, everybody's pretty sure it's her but if it was her she wouldn't like act like that that's ridiculous like she's so obvious about when she gets a ton of money and she goes to the casinos and like spends it all like that's so obvious there's no way it's this is like if bruce wayne went to high society parties and just like released a cage full of bats everywhere and just started like (laughs) shouting what's up bitches i'm the batman (laughs) people were like oh my god this asshole i wish batman would do something about him um i yeah uh she does on both of her thumbs wear like solid gold rings <laughs> like it's really obvious and she delights in that that's her favorite thing ever like what 
what she loves more than anything is to do something ridiculous yeah. and get away with it. Um, so one of my like criteria for for what makes an RPG character that I will like fall in love with is um, mm-hmm. if they were in a setting that had cars, would they mm-hmm. drive down the street in a car shaped like their own head shouting out the window? <laughs> and Anaya <laughs> seems like she passes that test with flying colors. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think it might not be her daily use car, but she absolutely <laughs> would own a car like that and take it out for fun. <laughs> uh, you want to talk about her mechanically? I would love to hear. Yeah, so mechanically, um, she, she is the playbook uh, which Blades in the Dark calls the spider, which is a sort of um, mastermindy, talky, um, manipulative, like that kind of criminal. Yeah, there's, um, there's and to be clear, another kind of like manipulative, talky criminal called the slide. And that yeah. tends to be more of like the... Um, like the person who's doing the conning on the scene, whereas like the spider is somebody who like sets everything up in the right place. Although something yeah. cool about like the playbook versus class design is that like there's no reason that you can't as a spider also be very good at like conning people face to face, right? Um, there's no mm-hmm. reason that as a spider you can't be good at like fighting people, even though there's a playbook that's like the fighty one. Um, which is really cool because it means that like you're not locked into a specific set of mechanics if you want to say, oh, I want to be like good in a fight or I want to be able to like, you know, tinker with machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good part of Blades in the Dark. That being said, yes, I have I have purposely designed Anais to have a sort of um, unfortunate, complete over specialization. Like I have not. I do not envision this woman as having a single point of skill in anything that is not, you know, academic or social. Like, mm-hmm. um, the stats I'm focusing on her uh, are study, consort, sway, and survey. She looks at things, she knows things, and she talks about things. Um, she can't, you know, um, fighting, uh, sneaking, uh, any magic stuff. Those are all very stressful for her. And she tries to just... Uh, her her ideal day is she does none of that. <laughs> like, um, and I've designed her like this so that, like, th- obviously things can go wrong. For sure, you know? yeah. Um, um, I've, also, I've also designed her, like... Um, yeah, we were talking about, like, um, we want to design these characters for this podcast so that they interface with mechanics that they like, mm-hmm. that we think are interesting. And so I've really geared her towards being focused on downtime. Like, her her thing is planning and her thing is logistics and, like, managing. The, and so that's what she does. The spider is like, really fucking cool like that. You can have so many abilities that just, like, make downtime a lot easier. Yeah. Let me read some of them. Oh, my God. I get to hear about them? Amazing. Like this podcast uh, fucking rules. <laughs> <laughs> so four abilities that I looked at as just like here are abilities that fit with you know how I think about Anaya's playing. Um, mm-hmm. Foresight, which is uh, two times per score, you can assist a teammate without paying stress. Normally, you can like you can assist a teammate at any time and give them additional die or improve their position or effect, but that costs stress. With foresight, you can do that twice. Without stress, the only cost is you describe how you prepare for this. Yeah. So, imagine in the score, 
Anaya's just being like, aha, well, you want to do this thing. I've already seen that. And here's the thing that I've set up to make it easier for you. It's just like, that fucking bitch, she figured it out. Amazing. I didn't even know I was going to do that, but she figured it out. Yeah. Um, other abilities are like calculating, which allows you to give yourself or another crew member one downtime action, and you only get two downtime actions, so that's very valuable, like, and especially the ability to sort of transfer it around based on who needs what, so that's like if a crew member needs extra healing or if Anais wants to like pursue something, like a project of hers, where she just needs a little more time to get it done, she can do that really easily. Another ability is called Functioning Vice, which, um, the thing about vice is if you can overindulge, if, you know, by indulging in your vice to heal stress, you would heal more stress damage than you have accumulated. And functioning vice lets you adjust uh, your result, um, both your result and anyone who indulges in your vice with you. So it's just like it is a really uh, flexible cushion because you can go either up or down one or two points. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be very hard for Anais or anyone that she hangs out with to overindulge and like screw up. You, you, when you can try to stress you. Not quite, but you can like be close to guaranteeing that you're going to like hit the exact perfect amount of um, like healing stress mm-hmm. with your advice so that you'll be like completely fresh, but not overindulged. Yeah. Um, and then the final one, the final ability I was looking at was Weaving the Web, which gives you an additional dice to consort rolls when you try to gather info on a target for a score. And then you will also get plus one dice to the engagement roll, which is huge. It's very big. Yeah, because, yeah, again, that like determines how easy and comfortable everything in that score is going to be. Yeah. And so uh, that is that is that is like mechanically what Anais is. She is a character who tries really, really hard to plan everything out, make sure everything goes okay. Um, And sometimes that works great and the score goes off easy. And sometimes that doesn't go great. And she is completely fucked. Can't do anything else. Can I point out something really cool here? Um, Yeah. She, you've described her as being kind of like a very self-centered person, right? Somebody who's like hedonistic, debauched um, and like, Mm -hmm in it for uh that that sort of like almost nihilistic view of like the world fucking sucks i'm just gonna make money to spend money um Mm -hmm. but like all her special abilities are ones that don't just help her but that like help the whole crew right um Mm -hmm. like anybody who indulges with her anybody who's going to be part of that engagement role and uh the people that Mm -hmm. she's like helping with the uh the foresight ability so it's just really cool to have this character who's like mechanically a support class right somebody who like makes things so much easier and so much more like uh you know uh uh successful on a consistent basis for her party but who's like not this sort of like all right team it's time to to help out um person Mm -hmm. at all which is really cool to me i think she does though she does like you know for whatever her party members or employees would be. I think she definitely is like, she has a loyalty to them Mm -hmm. um, in the way that she's like, well, if you die, then I have to get new people for my plans. And I don't know if the new person is going to be good. So uh, I'm not going to let you die. You're really important. God. (laughs) She's like, you fucking idiot. This is the same type of affection that I have towards my job where it's like, 
I don't know, it kind of sucks sometimes, but like, if I get another one, then it's probably going to suck even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it is very easy to get on Anais's good side if you work for her, if you just deliver results. There you like, go. You do it well, and even if you don't do it well, she's still kind of like, ah, fine, I'll clean up after you. I've, I don't worry, I've already fixed it. Amazing. You know? Um, okay. Uh, she, she'll never admit that she likes you, but, you know, she, she, she'll like you. Uh, so cool. That's the master criminal. Yeah. Um. Do you want? Uh, did you do stuff about her crew as well? Uh, not particularly. Okay. I didn't talk about it a lot. They are just sort of like smugglers and uh, you know, um, vice peddlers attached to her noble house. The, like I was thinking yeah. that her family would have like a distillery or some sort of legitimate vice business cool. under which there is also a second illegal vice business. Again, um playing on that theme of it's too obvious yeah yeah i love it <laughs> she sells she sells legal and illegal liquor come, come on. on does her crew have a name or is it just like do, when I you're do. talking about the group you just say the goldsmith um i did not come up with a name that's chill it's the goldsmith okay um so yeah do you want to do you want to hear about the detectives that's pursuing her i would love to okay so i when I knew I was going to be doing the detective, I was like, oh, fuck, there's no, like, detective playbook. And there's no, like, detective's um, crew playbook. Because mm-hmm. there's different types of crews as well, right? Um, Olivia, you mentioned that yours is the uh, Hawkers. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was like, damn, what am I going to do now that I've been, like, locked into playing a detective? Um, so here's what we've got. Uh, we've got a person whose name is uh, Thessaly Harrow. Um Hell yes. Alias Brightfeather. Hell yes. And uh, her crew has two names. There's a name that's kind of like on the level if you're just, you know, hiring these guys in an above board fashion. And then there's like the secret mm-hmm. name that they have for when you're doing the uh, under the table shit that you really shell out the big bucks for. Um, mm-hmm. Over the table, they're called the Vise Agency after Templeton Vise, who is this NPC that I've come up with, you know, effectively like another crew member that I'm pretending exists. Um, and he's kind of like mm-hmm. the public face of the organization. And then the hidden name of the crew is That Never Was. And uh, what they are is a, uh, uh, they use the Assassin's Playbook. And they're hired when you want to make someone pretty much be completely erased from any type of like history right so you don't hire them because you're trying to take out somebody public it's just a complete mismatch of purpose right and like an example that i thought of for this is like okay well if you um if you're like a noble and you have a rival noble that has been like really doing shit recently that has been like uh fucking up your interests then you wouldn't hire these guys to take out the rival noble what you would hire them to do is take out like i'm pretty sure that my rival has like a secret spy master who's the one behind these plans that are really like ruining my day and cutting into my income um Mm -hmm. and so i'm gonna hire these guys to find out who that hidden spy master is and then make them disappear right Mm mm-hmm um so i what's up i i really like how we've said i'm because of how this crew works 
um, there's a huge irony in that I can easily imagine someone who is convinced that Anais is like the fake persona exactly. of the goldsmith to be like, all right, I want you to find out who the goldsmith is and get rid of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- that's that's why I asked that question, right? Um, and I'm so glad that you said yes to it. Because it's like, um, that never was, has so 100% been hired to be like, look, we know who the, like, the public face is, but like, it would be completely ridiculous to go after her. In fact, like, if you can just like leave her in place so no one's the wiser, then that'll be perfect. Um, but yeah, I, I love the idea they've been hired entities like chasing someone who doesn't exist. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about Thessaly Harrow. Uh, her background mm-hmm. is labor, uh, parentheses, ghost catcher. Um, and she's using the whisper playbook, which is kind of like the supernatural one. Um, mm-hmm. every playbook can do something supernatural. Like they all have one ability with the word ghost in the name. Um, yeah, <laughs> they, sure do. they sure do. All of them love to see a ghost or can love to see a ghost. But like, this is the one that like focuses on that. Right. And something I was like really, really mm-hmm. cool about the, uh, the way that the book like talks about these guys to me is that like, you can absolutely have a sort of magic character that is, you know, this traditional, like, oh, I went to wizard school for 20 years and now I'm, like, studied in these ancient arts and I'm very, like, wise and erudite about it. Um, You can very much have a character who's, like, I'm part of this ancient cult that's, like, you know, skulking in the shadows doing these, like, completely inscrutable rituals and, and, like, you know, has all this pomp and circumstance. But you can also have a whisper who is just a dude. Um, Like, just kind of like a ghostbuster walking around with, like, this little... Uh, uh, like electrical net that they catch ghosts in and shove them into jars. And I think Mm -hmm. that like, that's kind of like where my character comes from. I like, she wasn't sent to like, uh, uh, you know, medium college or anything like that. Like, I think she worked an apprenticeship for a master ghost catcher. And her job was to kind of just like patrol these like shitty areas of the city and just like, um, you know, catch ghosts in nets and shove them into jars. And uh, she didn't super love that. She was burned out on it, like, within a couple years. Um, just because, like, the way that ghosts are, like, conceived of in this setting is, like, it's a really horrible that they exist and that, like, what awaits us after death is just, like, it's real and it really fucking sucks and it makes our world worse too, right? Okay. So she quit from that to join a detective agency as like a rank and file medium. And that kind of sucked too for different reasons because she was mostly just like called in to show off some bona fides and be somebody who like obviously knows what ghosts are and like, you know, do basic cold reading to assure the clients about like the fate of missing persons or whatnot. Or it's like, oh, I spoke to the spirit of your son and he says that he's at peace now and he loved you or something like that, right? Um... But that's where this guy, Templeton Vise, was like, oh, I bet that she's going to be really susceptible to this recruiting pitch of mine, where we basically go and form uh, that never was, right? And what he offered her is this idea that, like, well, I don't want you to just, like, treat these ghosts as something to completely dismiss or something to, like, you know, just shove into a uh, jar. What I want you to do to them is, like, actually work them as sources, right? 
And so that's how she's a detective. She goes to like places where her targets are thought to have had contact. And she tries to like sort of find like the afterlife residue, so to speak, that those targets have left behind, right? Like if people have died because of things that the um that the goldsmith has done or that, you know, uh uh you know, they, they've just died in ways where it's like they witnessed the goldsmith in some way, then like she's going to contact those ghosts and she's going to mm-hmm. like find out about them and basically like use all of that information to piece together kind of like a criminal profile of um, who this okay. is. Uh, she is inspired by Will Graham from the Hannibal NBC show. Um, hell yes hell and yes! i have as her vice written down here weird parentheses doing will graham shit so i don't <laughs> think that it's like the same type of it's not like exactly the same as as what he does right but like i do think that she has that sort of like over eager empathy um and that you know when she indulges in a vice um what she'll do is um take like this kind of you know this like weird fantasy drug that allows her to kind of like get vivid pictures of memories that aren't hers, but that are memories of like the ghost that she's come into contact with. Um, And that's Mm -hmm. something that's like very soothing to her because like it kind of helps assuage the idea to her that like, Oh, when we die, we just become problems and nothing else. Um, And nobody like cares or remembers. But it's also something that, like, obviously you could see how she could overindulge in some shit like that. Um, get it. She get incredibly high on ghost weed I, and then, like... Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, boss. I thought I was, like, three other people for, like, a week. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the spirits are speaking to me and they're saying that uh, I'm really fucking high right now. I'm always going to be high. This is never going to stop. And the cops are right outside my door right now. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that, like, she tries to do is um uh whenever like she hunts a target like she will you know the 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 operations of that never was will result in that person either like being killed or like sort of being kidnapped and just like locked away uh by the client forever um and what she tries to do is like based on these like detailed profiles that she can put together of these people um she just uh wants to remember them in some way and so she'll try to be like okay well here's one admirable thing about them that was in this profile that i put together and i'm gonna try to carry that on in myself and in my own life um it's not like a you know plurality did type thing but it is it's much more a situation of like being inspired by these people right and trying Mm -hmm. to like think of them as like well there was there's something good about them even if they were pieces of shit that i got hired to kill um and and that's like kind of her way to like convince herself that this isn't like a blatantly like you know ruthless and evil thing that she's doing for a living mm-hmm. um she she seems to strike me as like um not quite like she is 100% being deceived by Templeton Vice and, you know, the rest of the crew. But she's definitely sort of, like, telling herself, like, very pruned stories that let her live with it. Is that correct? Oh, 100%, yeah. Like, I I, I think that she she sort of, like, thinks of it and tries to convince herself that, like, okay, well, I mean, like, 
they, they, they both sort of start from a central premise of the world is completely fucked, like both our characters. Mm-hmm. And the way mm-hmm. that she rolls with that premise is that she ends up thinking like, well, so I'm not actually like making the world worse by this. And like, this is a way that I can kind of like make it fine in some way, right? That like these people would just die and become ghosts and not be remembered anyway. And now at the very least, mm-hmm. like somebody's always going to be like carrying a part of them within her. Um, mm-hmm. Which, you know, uh, at no point do I want to suggest that she is like corrected reasonable in this belief. She is just <laughs> coping. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to talk about some of her mechanical stuff here. Go for it. Um, so her first special ability is called Compel. It lets her attune to the ghost field and force a nearby ghost to appear before her and obey an order she gives it. And uh, mm-hmm. you are not supernaturally terrified by a ghost uh, that you summon or compel. Parentheses, they are allies, maybe. Um, she also has... Love, love to attune to the ghost field, I love... Personally. It is the most powerful form of vibing available in this game. <laughs> um, she also has abilities called Ghost Mind and Ghost Voice. Uh, ghost Mind is that she's always aware of supernatural entities in her presence and gets an extra die when she gathers info about supernatural by any means. And Ghost mm-hmm. Voice is that she knows a secret method to interact with ghosts or demons as if they were humans, regardless of how wild or feral it appears. She gains potency when communicating with the supernatural. I don't actually know what gaining potency is, but it's pretty straightforward. That just like makes your rolls better in some way. Potency is sort of like, um, if I remember it right, it's sort of like in specific situations, it's like the super level of effect. Like you're going to go beyond like uh, a great effect. You're in the you're in the fucking stratosphere of effects. Does that make any sense? That does make sense. And like I said, I mean, shit's good enough for me. If it's potency, if it's called potency, then it obviously makes my shit better in some way. So I will take it. That's true. Um, Sorry, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, then. I did a bit more like detail into the playbook, or sorry, the the crew playbook end of this. We are assassins. Um, we have a layer that's an abandoned storefront once occupied by a private detective agency in good enough repair to not be suspicious, so long as you don't squint. Um, mm-hmm. Our favorite operation type is disappearance. The victim vanishes without a trace. And there's some really fucking cool assassin abilities. There's no traces. Which is, when you keep an operation quiet or make it look like an accident, you get half the reputation value of the target rounding up instead of zero. When you end your downtime with zero heat, take one reputation. So it basically allows you oh. to like advance as a, a crew without like doing loud shit. Mm-hmm. And then these two others are really fucking cool and I imagine a big part of why we get hired. Um, we have Ember Death, which is... Uh, you know an arcane method to destroy a living victim's spirit at the moment you kill them. You can take three stress to channel energy from the ghost field to disintegrate the spirit and body in a sp- shower of sparking embers. Uh, so they won't uh, leave behind a ghost. That's fucked up. It's fucked up and it's really cool. And then we have Crow's Veil, which um, I did not read enough into the setting to know that these fuckers even exist. But there's something called Death Seeker Crows that just goes around finding people that have died. Um, and it says I, that... What's that? Oh, I was just going to say, I assume that's the lore reason for why if you end a score with bodies, like any killing at all, it yeah. raises your sort of like heat with law enforcement. 
Well, good news. That doesn't happen for us because uh, the effect of this is you don't take extra heat when killing is involved on a score because the crows can't find people that we've killed. Um, so it's it's a really fucking cool. Uh, That's so scary. Uh, yeah, it's really fucking scary. By the way, what I wrote for my character's look is that she's a small, slight woman in a hooded white robe that's patterned to look like two great wings enveloping her. Um, she's got a spirit mask, um, which is something that whispers are said to have. Um, and I just, it's supposed to be like weird and disconcerting to look at in some way. So um, I made it so that there are feathers where the eyes should be. Um, and the mask itself appears to be on closer inspection made from the feathers of death seeker crows, except dyed white. Um, that's why she's called bright feather. She's your completely normal detective. Who's uh, totally above board. Much like Woe Graham. Yes. She's, she's (laughs) thinking about how like somebody made a tweet, you know, a few weeks back when Hannibal's, you know, added to Netflix and everybody started talking about Hannibal, but like, Everybody who meets Will Grab in that show is just like, hi, Will Grab, I've heard of you. You have like the most <laughs> mental illness of anyone in the world. Um, you are the you're most extremely mental illness guy. <laughs> yeah, you are the most fucked up and your head is worse than anyone else's. And he always just very politely says, that's me. God, um, what a what a what special man. When I made that tweet about... Um about uh, uh, Travis McElroy being on Hannibal. Um, no! <laughs> I had, yeah! Oh. Yeah, I made that tweet. Um, I had uh, I had uh, Jack Crawford introduce Will Graham, and then I believe the tweet said, Will Graham nods uncomfortably. <laughs> Amazing. Um, um, you... You were you were quite forthcoming about your uh, fictional influences for the character. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to I'm just going to own up to. Please. Um, Anais is very inspired by um, Ava uh, Ushiromiya <gasps> from uh, Umineko. Oh, um, I love her. And I've... that I just want I wanted a I wanted a middle aged woman who dresses very <laughs> gaudy and is just deeply prideful and takes great pleasure in upsetting people. <laughs> I have never played him in Echo. Um, I've walked past the computer, uh, or like the monitor where Tilly is playing it a fair amount. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I know what she looks like. I know her beautiful, gorgeous, original sprite. And <laughs> every time I see her, I'm just like, oh, that bitch. I love her. Is she awful? I bet she's awful. I love her. So I'm really Here's glad a- that I had the exact same reaction to Anais. Yeah. So Anais has that vibe, but she's like uh, fat basically oh yeah um i just want her to be like this uh i just want her to like have this sort of both physical and social like really larger than life uh presence um yeah i'm personally er, i'm personally kind of uh self-conscious about showing my shoulders because i feel like my upper arms are sort of like Mm. um big um and i just i want her to just be like nah fuck it yeah got those whole things out i'm just gonna (laughs) i'm not gonna start swinging them but I could. Yeah, I, I think, like, Cecily is sort of, like, on the opposite end of the scale in that, like, she is, like, super fucking gangly and, like, like has a frame that is too long to be graceful. Um, mm-hmm. So I've, I've not given her... I've also, like, not given her pretty much any of the, um, like, I think what are called the prowess skills. Um, she mm-hmm. has a tune, which is, like, the do supernatural shit one. She has consort, so she can talk to ghosts. She has one skirmish, 
Um, so she can like, you know, that's basically left over from like her ghost catching days. She has hunt mm-hmm. and study. Um, mm-hmm. So she's mostly like somebody who can talk to ghosts well and like be insightful in her deductions. But like she is not somebody who is like physically graceful or like comfortable in her body at all. Um, so I love the idea that uh, like, like Thessaly, um, her her like bright feather outfit like, like none of her actual body is like visible. Like she has a mask and she has like a a, a white hooded robe, and like it's the sort of proportions where you like you look at her and it's like is is the person under that robe like wearing stilts or some shit or is it like three people like three kids stacked on their shoulders <laughs> or like there's just something like a little wrong about like you know the, the proportions here but no no it's just like this bitch who kind of has a funny body um and we love that we, we love that, love for, that her. for her yeah uh the last thing that i want to like mention before we like kind of get to our last segment talking about like the relationship between our characters is mm-hmm. um that uh, I mentioned that like she tries to take on these different parts of the the people that she's uh, led to the deaths of um, mm-hmm. for herself, and um, Templeton Vise uh, completely misinterprets what that is because uh, <laughs> she hasn't told him about it because it's a fucking weird thing to do, and and she's like, are, are people going to think I'm weird for this? Um, but he looks at her like taking on these sort of like outwardly likable or or admirable like aspects of her demeanor and it's like oh wow she's really coming out of her shell this is great for her it's a win-win situation for everyone you know like i get to to like get these paydays and she gets to like you know clearly come out of her shell after you know the the detective work that she was doing before i found her was clearly so rough for her and uh he is not aware at all of the fact that like things are not great for her and i had this idea for how the two of these characters would start to interact, right? All right. Um, which is the idea that, like, okay, so she's been hired to find the goldsmith. No, no, not that one, the real one. Mm-hmm. And um, she, like, starts doing her usual thing of, like, okay, canvassing the ghost field and uh, figuring out, like, oh, are, are people who are, like, killed... like in ways that um involve these operations or in ways that like um you know just people who might have like known uh the goldsmith or or been involved in an operation before they died in some way just like Mm -hmm. kind of getting this information from them and painting a picture of who this person must be and um for the first time ever uh she can't find anything admirable in her target worth taking um, which is not necessarily <laughs> to say that there's nothing admirable at all about um, Anais, but it's either like that she just can't see it or she like um, feels like, well, I already have that, so I can't just double up on it. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like leading her to like, it's forcing her to confront this fact that like, this is just a coping mechanism right this is just like a really obvious way for me to sort of like put my fingers in my ears about like the fact that i work for this incredibly fucked up assassination team um and so like it's really causing her like stress and and discomfort and when she eventually like finds Aeneas, she has ulterior motives for what she wants out of this situation right um and 
I I think that like she just wants some kind of clarity about like where she goes from here now, right? Because like this model that she thought was going to be sustainable of her just like hunting these people and carrying on some little part of them within her, that's clearly not going to work anymore. So I, I think that, you know, you might end up in a situation where like she finds you and, and she like confronts you and is like, I know that you're the goldsmith. No, 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 not like that. I know you're the real goldsmith. And just kind of and like she's like, I am the real goldsmith. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, no, no, I mean, you're the real goldsmith. And she's like, yeah, yeah, that's what I said. I'm the real goldsmith. And that just repeats for like five minutes. Um, but that she just basically like sort of flails and is like, so what the fuck do I do now? Huh? Do you, like, w- what's going on? Like, she's either hoping that there will be something admirable she can find or that she can be like talked out of you know, assassinating her in the first place or just something that would like give her some kind of sense of direction for like, where can my life go? That's not going to be immediately unbearable from here. And I am Mm -hmm. super interested in what Anais's reaction to this, like, you know, very sort of like strange and, and mystical detective who like approaches her reveals that she knows the truth behind everything and then just sort of like has a panic attack in front of her. What what would okay. the reaction to that situation be like? So I know what the reaction is. Okay, and I I'm think all ears. The reaction is that's really cute. That's <laughs> oh so god. funny. Oh my god! I've got a. What do you want? Some? Do you want some wine? It's just like <laughs> you look. You look like you need to just take a second. Good lord. Amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm imagining that Tesla in this situation could absolutely just be sort of like very gently pushed over into a nice comfy chair. Because I think I think the way that Anais would look at that whole situation is like, okay, if you don't want to murder me, just don't do it. Like, <laughs> you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. <laughs> That's my whole lifestyle. Is not doing things I'm not interested in, you know? And so, like, I think her reaction would be, um, like, not really threatened. I don't think she has it in her to be, like, threatened by this weird woman. But, Mm -hmm. and, like, maybe she would be sort of comforting, but also also sort of just, like, not understanding it, you know? Like, if there's an assassination threat, she's like, I'll just plan around it. If it's, like... My my duty to assassinate you has me really fucked up. She'll be like, then don't do it. You know, quit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you want to be a leave. dog? Then bark, bark. You know, whatever. Yeah, she's she's just showing you know her like a, um, like a, a um. I guess there there would be like printed books and and printouts in this like mm-hmm. setting because it's like Victorian, right? She just shows her like here's an illustration. This book I have of that um the share zone tweet that's just like if you're feeling uncomfortable you could just leave you yeah, could just, just be just done and, yeah just get up and leave like quit your job idiot like what's your problem amazing like weird little girl and then she'll take like a big like drag of the thing and just be like you want this you want this take God. some I, I love that so much right because like it's 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 if you're like looking at this from the Thessaly viewpoint, then this is like this is the moment of truth where it's like this is gonna determine the shape of my life from here on in, and like everything hinges on this moment. 
it is just like this extremely drunk woman just being like damn girl that's weird uh you don't that's gotta like do it though fucked up <laughs> anais our shard voice just found out about the assassins trying to murder me that's fucked up <laughs> god yeah uh i love that the idea for a confrontation between the two of them and i think I'm that imagine- like Sorry, I'm imagining her talking to someone else later and, like, taking a huge, like, swig of wine and being like, she said they were gonna incinerate my ghost. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Have you heard about this? Who does and the that? Other being like, I've never heard of this, ma'am. And it's yeah. like, that's weird. Man. So, here's... When, when I mentioned that one of the things that makes me, like, really fall in love with a character is uh, the rolling down a street in a car shaped like their own head deal, right? Mm-hmm. Another thing is um, characters who are blindly loyal to the last person to be nice to them. <laughs> um, um, and I, I feel like Thessaly is sort of in that situation. where, like, I don't think necessarily that it would immediately be like from there. Oh, she's now part of the Goldsmith's crew instead. But I think that that is probably where like the tipping point would go. Right. Where it's like okay, well, this is a long-term operation because, like, we're pretty sure that, you know, the, the real goldsmith is is too difficult of a target to just, like, do as a quick job. So we're doing other scores while we're trying to find the goldsmith. And mm-hmm. so, like, they'll probably, like, continue for a little while and she would be stalling and being like, uh, yeah, sorry, ghosts aren't saying anything. Damn, this person's good, really covering her tracks. And, like, eventually it would sort of, like, boil to a confrontation where like you know there would there would be this like moment this crux for thessaly's character where it's like but can she just leave can she just like walk out of her job and never come back and and just like completely ghost them oh um made a pun not thrilled (laughs) with it she'll ghost Um, mind them yes she'll ghost mind them she'll ghost voice them she'll ghost vibe them she'll ghost ghost them yeah, but I, I love that idea for the two characters, and I, I especially love the idea that, like, several sessions later, she would kind of, like, come back and be like, okay, Aeneas, I've I've solved this whole problem, right? I've dismantled, like, the attempt to assassinate you. I've led them on their own, like, different track, and, and they've pursued a completely false lead. You're safe now, and uh that's all dealt with and now i really want to join your your crew instead and like you know work for you and, and do whatever you want uh, me to do right and then and it's just like damn what the fuck is going on she'd be like oh neat uh yeah and then she'd like open a drawer and get like a bar of gold and be like there you go kid <laughs> Like, you know what's good? It's good. I like when a new employee has some initiative and stops the assassination attempt against me. That's pretty cool. Oh, I oh wait, wait. What if it's an idea where, like, she's just going there to, like, she doesn't mention a part that, like, now I want to work for you. But, like, she mentions that, like, okay, you're safe now because I, like, dismantled this attempt to assassinate you. And then, like, you know, Aeneas, like you said, puts the gold bar on the table and is like, I love it when employees take initiative. And she's like, wait, no, I don't. Do I work for you now? Wait, wait. She's like, welcome wait, to the is team. Is this my new job? 
No, she, she just, just takes a big like... bottle of champagne and she just like unpops it and the cork just goes flying past <laughs> yeah. or alternatively she, like, hits her. calls the rest of the crew in to be like, all right, this is our new uh, associate. Uh, what's your name again, kid? That's Tessa? Tessa. Yeah. I love the idea that she just completely backs her way on accident into having a new job full of, like, people who are <laughs> nice to her. Yeah, I mean, because that's, like, Aeneas, that's part of Aeneas's promise, you know? It's like, well, you could just leave, and, like, you do a <laughs> thing, and you're good at doing a thing, so, like, I'll, like, people will hire you. Fuck, I'll hire you. Amazing. Like, just, I just love that it. story for the two of them. It's so good. <laughs> That's great. We, we made a made a beautiful little narrative here. We made a we weave stories. We are the story weavers. Uh, do you want to end on our question segment? Yeah. Hey, Olivia, what's the question segment? Yeah. So we thought that we would end. Uh, we would, you know, we we've already sort of gone off and create a whole narrative arc in this specific episode, mm-hmm. but. We thought in general we would give ourselves, you know, a sort of interactive um, insurance and have a segment whereby it's a little bit complicated. We have, even though we didn't know anything about each other's characters, we have each given the other two questions about our character to ruminate on. Um, and then, we're, you know, we are going to basically supply some details about each other's characters based on our understanding. Some of it for serious and some of it for fun. Uh, do you want to just show an example? And yeah, for sure. Tell me some stuff about uh, Anais. Um, and so my serious question for her, which I would like you to answer, is what is the worst mistake Anais has ever made? Uh, the one that almost got her caught. Okay. Um, I think that this would have been like quite early in her career as the goldsmith, sort of before she really, like, like achieve the complete state of vibing that she's clearly in right now um Mm -hmm. and i think that there was like exactly one moment where like the the sort of people talking behind her back and like people like you know dismissing her and whatnot sort of got to her in some way Mm -hmm. and um i think that like she was she was like pretty turned and she saw somebody who was like you know dismissing her in that way and she just sort of like you know got in their face and was like, oh, yeah? Well, would, like, you know, a, a, a complete, like, you know, oaf and layabout be able to, like, and just rattle off some of, like, the cool scores that she's got going on? And, like, there was a moment where people were like, wait, wait, is she not just, like, a buffoon who's a front? Is she maybe, like, behind this in some way? But, like, you know, when she, like, kind of collected herself, she did go back to being, like, you know... Uh, again, it's not even a front, right? Like, they saw how she acts on an everyday basis, and they were like, no, no, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I think, the the worst mistake she's ever made that almost got her caught. Mm-hmm. And so from then on, she's like, I gotta be more diligent about being a total fuck-up in public. Like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I love that idea, right? Because it's like, it was because she wasn't quite omnipresent as a fuck-up yet that people were like oh wait hold on mm-hmm. is is there like a, a mask and a, a a real persona here but then they were like oh no, no no it's it's just oaf the whole way down um i forgot to mention why her vice is games of chance um oh please 
Uh, it's because, you know, she creates, you know, all of these sort of like very meticulous schemes where she tries to get everything off perfectly. And so what she does to blow off steam is take some of the winnings from those schemes and just just literally a literal game of chance. Like like a roulette. Yeah, she's like getting getting, you know, getting 50 gold pieces is satisfying as hell. What's even more satisfying is getting uh, 500 gold pieces just because I put it on a color and then the fucking ball went in. Like, that is, look, like, that is a rush to her. Look, I've played, our, like, you know, uh, RPG video games. I know the satisfaction of your numbers arbitrarily going up. Yeah, that's that's what she loves. She Amazing. Loves uh, um, what's the silly question you got for me? Uh, the silly question, I'm modifying it. It was okay. going to be... Uh, what is Anais's Twitter account like? But I'm modifying it, and I want to say, what's her Instagram account look like? Okay, um, this is even more perfect. Because um, my answer was already going to be, it's just like John Cena's Instagram account. I've never seen John Cena's Instagram account. It's amazing. Um, I haven't looked at it in a while, so it might have stopped being amazing. But, like, <laughs> John Cena's Twitter account is, like, very, like laced up and professional and just like a bunch of announcements about like you know I'm, I'm proud to you know announce my partnership with this brand or whatnot or promoting wwe events or whatnot mm-hmm. but his instagram is just him posting like weird inscrutable shit posty images that he finds yeah funny. this is this is voltron he just posted voltron <laughs> yeah! that's all he does there's, he doesn't, like, post any stories. He doesn't, like, post any selfies where he's, like, you know, uh, There's back no at the comment. Gym, he just posted Voltron. No, he just posts pictures that he likes and that he thinks are funny. And he's having a wheel of a time with this Instagram account. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I imagine hers is. She just, like, thinks of things that are funny to her and will just, like, post a picture of them without ever explaining what they're supposed to be or why she finds them funny. And, and like, that... You know, I've mentioned as her as being like on this perfect level of vibing. John Cena's <laughs> Instagram account is one of the most powerful vibes in the world. Um, he just so posted I think that... Big Chungus. <laughs> What's up? He just posted Big Chungus. <laughs> when did he post Big Chungus? Um, uh, I, July sixteenth. He just posted <laughs> Big Chungus. No comment. <laughs> posting Big Chungus on July sixteenth, twenty twenty, with no comment is so good. Anais would 100% do that. <laughs> it's a picture of Baby Yoda edited so he's wearing like a sort of like tracksuit and a beanie. In the episode description, we need to link to John Cena's Instagram account. <laughs> God, we do. God, we do. Amazing. Okay. This is beautiful. Thank you for giving me these two details. No problem. Um, I have some questions for you. All right. Okay. So uh, the serious question I have is not the first one that I had. It is mm-hmm. instead... Um, ba, 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 ba. Do you have an idea? I wrote idea? it down. Oh, yeah, please do. I wrote it down if you wanted. Oh, yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. Your serious, que- your serious question was, of all the things they take, uh, like, you know, um, Thessaly has taken from the people that she's hunted, mm-hmm. uh, what, what does she most wish that she had just left where it was? Yeah. Um, and, and so, so this, is, this is specifically... The way that I envision a question, it's referring to, like, those traits of the people that she tries to, like, yeah. take for herself. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, what do, you, what do you think? So, I'm thinking, uh, because we talked about how, like, this is 
just a coping mechanism for her. Like, it's not, you know, it's not like, um, it's not very well considered or like, no, rigorous. So I'm thinking that there was one target that she, uh, that she hunted who was like, um, the thing that she decided was like valorous was his sort of like, he was, uh, you know, sort of like a noble type and he would like defend his honor you know, and the honor of, like, his family and stuff like that. Um, You know, like, the guy who would start a fight if you said some shit about him, no matter yeah. what, you know? And people were, you know, in the noble society of Duskval, that is, like, that is valorous, and, like, people think that's a stand-up thing. I think when uh, Tesla started, like, doing that, she was instantly like, oh my god, this is bad like this yeah. is not this is not me this causes a lot of problems i get into fights um uh and it's just like it's not good but she also can't like give up on that you know because it would you know it would require like you know basically putting lie to the whole practice that she does amazing uh, but she does really that for that she's just like started to care about like insignificant shit and and yeah. start to fight about it. Yeah. So like you know she'll like start a fight in a bar because she heard a guy like badmouth the the vice agency. Oh, it's like incredible. oh they're they're you know they're second rate you know and she'll yeah. be like what the fuck did you just say about us you little bitch? <laughs> incredible. <laughs> oh I love these two. They suck so much. <laughs> they're so awful. Okay. Uh, all and right. my silly question is, uh, what's her go-to fast food order, and how embarrassed is she of it? So, I think it's just a giant fucking burger. Like, yes. it has multiple patties, it's got everything on it, like, it's it's just, it's such a bad idea, you do not want to eat this, but sometimes she craves it. She's like, I just want a huge burger. I bet she, you know, we talked about how she's like, uncomfortable in her body mm -hmm. i bet it's definitely one of those meals for her that she eats it and then for the rest of the day she just feels like oh god like <laughs> oh the flesh is a prison yeah why do, why do i get this every time i feel awful like she i just, already like... feel like i'm a stick person and now i feel like i'm a stick person but also i'm just like weighed down by grease and nasty shit but in the moment that she's eating it she's like this is so good this is the yeah. best thing I've ever eaten in my life. She just calls in and is like, oh, hey, uh, I'm not going to be able to go into work today. Uh, a ghost attacked me and I have <laughs> suffered severe spiritual malaise. And like Templeton's like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And, you know, he hangs up the phone. And he's like, oh, yeah, she ate a burger again. <laughs> she definitely ate a burger. <laughs> oh, oh, I love it. I yeah <laughs> just uh, uh imagine i'm imagining a scenario in which after she's begun to work for the goldsmith um anias walks in and she's just sort of sprawled out on the couch fucked up and is like what happened to you and then tesley describes the whole thing and anias is just like yeah i've been there i'll make you a hangover cure and tesley's <laughs> like it's not a hangover and, and anias is like no nah, it's basically a hangover don't worry don't worry i got you I imagine her in one of, like, her whisper reveries, where it's, like, that she uses to talk to ghosts, but instead of, like, you know, saying her, like, seance shit, she's just, like, muttering to herself over and over again, big burger, big burger, big burger. Big burger. Uh, great. I love these two. I love these two. This podcast They deserve each lips. other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Uh, this is fantastic. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, about ready to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, where can people find you on the internet, Hannah? People can find me on Twitter at Hannah Yola. That's H-A-N-N-A-H-Y-O-L-E-A-U. Nice. I don't have any other shit to plug. This is my only podcast. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, uh, the only thing I have to plug is uh, my Twitter, which is at Great Grebe, which is a type of bird. Um, and by the time this episode goes up, I'm going to make a fun little pin tweet on there where I'm going to have all three of my podcasts there. And you can just go look at those. Hell yeah. Go, go look at my podcasts. Let's do it. All right. We didn't think of a sign off, did we? We didn't think of a sign off. And what right. uh, I've learned from uh what i've learned from other two podcasts is that uh sometimes you don't need one you can just uh, you can just sort of shuffle off okay cool yeah do you want to just shuffle off in that case yeah just shuffle off bye yes. everybody bye uh, everybody see you. Uh, try the try the uh, try the potato gratin it's really good potato eat the big burger eat the big burger <laughs> until <laughs> next time off. eat the big burger <laughs> just shuffle off going big burger big burger <laughs> big burger <laughs> Oh, I love it. All right, peace. Goodbye.